Hi, welcome to the Express Results Bulletin for Season 2, Episode 9. Yeah, you only had a week to cast your vote this time, for which apologies. It does mean that the voting numbers are a little bit down this week, although we do have a clear set of results. We're jiggling around with summer holiday plans and Nick is hopefully jetting off to foreign climes tomorrow, air traffic control permitting. It will be fine. Of course it will be fine. Where, where are you going? Come on. You can't say he's off on holiday and then not say where he's going. Where's he going? I want to know. I'm just going to Spain. Ah, so somewhere Latin, because you'll be chasing the Latin music that you're so into. Ready to immerse yourself in reggaeton, bomba, boogaloo, and lots of Cardi B, I hope. I go to Barcelona, so I'm just going to listen to a lot of, what's her name? Bad Girl, or whatever her name is, that Barcelona singer that's out currently. Anyway. So, in last place this time, earning minus one points for the 1970s, it's Puppy Love by Donny Osmond. Oh, I know, I know. Malcolm the Break Doctor says, Notwithstanding Mike's love for this and for Donny, I'm afraid I really can't stand this song. The worst of 70s cheese. And unlike good cheese, this has not aged well. Asta from Montreal says, I didn't swoon then and I don't swoon now, but Donny the performer is a treat. While Mark says... Not a song I would have imagined I was going to vote for, but actually listening to this, it's really good. I applied the test of imagining it was by someone who I regard as cooler, say, Little Anthony and the Imperials, and where I would place it then. And so it's here. He gave it good marks, did Mark? So at least somebody likes it. It's weird, we often get bad comments for the popular songs and good comments for the least popular songs. It's just the way it goes. We were talking in the last episode about pitched up vocals, mm. uh, you know, in Happy Hardcore, but they always take vocals that are kind of a mid range and then pitch them up. And what I really think should happen, like the next day, if there are any hardcore producers, for example, Malcolm the Break Doctor, quite specifically listening, what I think they should do is take vocals that are already quite high and then pitch them up. So, for example, this would be a great candidate. Yeah, if like they start off with it and they called it pup and then shift it up a few yeah. keys, like so that only like dolphins and bats can hear it. Oh, chip donk that mother. <laughs> Which reminds me, Trev, have you had a chance to catch up with the Smurfs version of uh, Technohead? There are things that man is not meant to know. I'm falling into that category. And do you know what? No, I'm just going to let that sit in my mind as perfect as it is in my mind without smirching it with the tawdry nature of actually listening to the thing. Nearest thing we've had to a chip tune hit single, I would say. It sounds very chip tune. I'm sorry about Donny. Um, that's not the way I would have wished it to go. But hey, into the Met Zone, first up in the Met Zone for the 1960s, The Shadows with Guitar Tango. Mark says... One of you suggested this anticipated Ennio Morricone's Spaghetti Western scores, but left that as a description rather than a judgment. That's what it sounds like to me too, but I can't think of a higher compliment. And so this slots in at number one for me, and I really like the Maya Casabianca version. Side point, The Shadows were almost certainly the UK's biggest instrumental act, but as far as I can find, The Ventures sold a ton more records overall. James, Centuries of Sound, says, incidental music of no particular note, so it's kind of mystifying that this was a hit. I would very much dispute the idea that there isn't much of note pre-60s, of course, though the charts aren't there. 
Anasta simply says, this is to Chango as SpaghettiOs are to Penne Arrabbiata. That's wonderful. I think the charts are there, though. James, the charts go back to 1952, and we've got sheet music charts going back to about 1946, so it's out there. Obviously, there was loads of good music before the 60s, but I'm not sure that much of it made the charts, because we're not doing the 50s. We could never really find out in any great detail. Okay. Also in the Met Zone, representing the 2000s, any one of us stupid mistake by Gareth Gates. Ed says... It's notable how much better reality show star songs are when they are given proper writing teams and not just lifeless cover versions. Nick is almost smiling. Asta says, Gareth had and has zero presence over here, here being Canada. For that, I am grateful. The best I can say is that this non-apology apology song would work well in a Hallmark movie. While James says, a perfectly acceptable mainstream pop song from a talented but bland singer, which is never going to be a favourite, but I will grudgingly accept it right up to that key change. We've got an actual apology song coming up in the next episode where the guy takes response, or the girl actually in the uh, version that we're going to talk about, actually takes responsibility for what they did. And on that basis alone, it renders it a better song. I am thrilled it's not come last. I would also say that having listened to it again this week, I do take Trev's point that the lyrics are a little bit, oh, she fell on it, gov. Um, <laughs> David Williams used to play like a Tory minister, didn't he, in Little Britain? And, his, and he used to be giving an explanation for what happened outside the front of his country pad. And it feels a bit like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it was everybody else's fault but my own that I had intercourse with that person. This was our major sticking point with Gareth Gates. Into the top three, earning one point for the 2010s in third position is Florence and the Machine, remixed by Calvin Harris with Spectrum Say My Name. Mark says, as you guys said, the problem always has been and continues to be her voice. Something I found vaguely interesting is that in the recent TV show Daisy Jones and the Six, Although it was set in the 70s and blatantly inspired by the Fleetwood Mac saga, Daisy's look was a lot closer to Florence Welsh than Stevie Nicks. Asta says, I like Florence in small doses. It's a powerful voice, but it only ever operates at full pitchy throttle and one song at a sitting is enough. While Ed says... I'm still not really sure what this grab bag term EDM fully means. Remixes with this bottom up approach, taking a pop song and turning it into an upbeat and danceable banger have worked for decades. What I do know is that the mid tens was a golden age for it. And Calvin here is in full Willy Wonka mode, throwing popping candy and marshmallows into this already tasty chocolate bar and making something unique and wonderful. Ed likes it. I think the term grab bag to describe EDM is absolutely spot on because it has become this blanket term, whereas EDM initially was for quite a specific set of dance music. And then it's become used by people who don't know dance music to just refer to everything as dance. There's house records getting described as EDM and it's, you know, music descriptions and genres are meant to make things easier to describe music. And I think actually EDM does the reverse of that. Well, it's a very bland, casual grab bag term in the first place, isn't it? Yeah. That's the problem. Electronic dance music. You could apply that to anything. You could apply that to um, one of the songs we've not yet talked about. 
I agree with our lovely listener who says that it doesn't take a very long extended sitting down at your desk working of an afternoon listening to Florence to get utterly fed up with somebody discordantly screaming at you. I mean, in very small doses, it is fine. But uh, yeah, I also found that. I related to that. I relate to that. There are musical styles that I can't take more than one or two tunes of. Um, Electro Swing is one because it's a bit rich. And I think that's the thing with Florence. It's quite a lot. So if you're not a fan, but then isn't that the case with most music? I can't think of many artists that I go, oh, I don't particularly like them. But I would sit down and listen to three albums. Yeah, I'll tell you a genre of music I don't get on with that I can't listen to more than one of, and that is guitar tango. (laughs) (laughs) Although, although, like what you were saying last week, Trev, you know, I went down and turned my Spotify on today, and it was still going from last week. (laughs) So this is a good tip. If you're running late, you're like, I've not got time to do this, you've got to iron your shirt and all that kind of stuff, stick guitar tango on, and suddenly you've got all the time in the world. I played it to my partner, Kevin, and he felt exactly the same thing. He thought it had been going on for hours and hours and hours. It's just a weird audio illusion. Perhaps they should have played it. You know that woman in the flake advert that just got into a bubbly bath? Perhaps that's what she had on in the background. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to put guitar tango on, lie back in the bath, eat me flake. Uh, I've yet to try it, but uh, I'm thinking the next time I'm ready to lay my woman down by the fire and make sweet, sweet love, I'm going <laughs> to stick on guitar tango so that she thinks my endurance is a, a lot more than it actually is. You can just imagine <laughs> the Rango Mariachi band <laughs> trotting in with a commentary on your capers. Any chance we could move this along a little bit? I just, I do actually want to ask, I've never heard of this TV programme. Was it Daisy Jones and the Six? Are either of you aware of it? Uh, It is an adaptation of a very well-known best-selling book about a band, Fleetwood Mac-esque is the right description of it, Mm. set in the 1970s. Really good people wrote the original music for it. It might have been Marcus Mumford. I'll look it up. All right. Top two time. These two are both way ahead of the pack, I should say. Uh, it gives me pleasure to announce that in second place, earning two points for the 1990s, we have Luther Vandross and Janet Jackson with The Best Things in Life Are Free. Comments don't altogether reflect this, though, because Ed says, weirdly disjointed yet uniformly bland, and the pointless guest rap, one of the earlier examples, is really jarring. Message-wise, it's also about as far from 2023 vibes as can be imagined, although I can't really hold that against it. Hmm. Malcolm simply says, enjoyable, though I can't get overexcited about it. While James says, very much not for me at the time, but re-evaluating after listening to Mike, I can really appreciate the cutting-edge house vibes here, though I would still avoid the beery town centre nightclubs that apparently played it. In Worcester, ours were called tramps and images, and there were miserable nights out every time I went. When uh, he's talking about, you know, the message not representing the current vibe, does he mean that these days nothing is free? Like, it costs you money just to exist? Because I think he's absolutely right, you know. That's all I can think is, like, at the moment, nothing's free. Speaking of which, is this a good time to mention subscribing to the podcast? What a good idea. Yes. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash which decade tops. At the moment, we are still eagerly awaiting the supporter that can catapult us into double figures on our Patreon. It could be you. So close to it, I mean, I can taste it. All right. 
It will come as no surprise, I would have thought, to anyone listening to this to discover that our clear winner, making it three winners in a row this season for the 1980s, Yazoo, don't go. Malcolm says, I saw this on the list and I knew my winner straight away. No fancy frills here, just awesome Alison's voice and Vince's synth mastery. Perfection. Mark says, an unquestioned classic, but Moyet's vocals, I may have used this analogy before, sound like they could stop a tank attack in its tracks, and I never enjoy that approach. By her solo stuff, her singing became more supple and tuneful. While Ed says, a shimmering tower of synthy atmosphere and emotion, grabbing you by the shoulders and telling you exactly what it's all about from start to end. Pound for pound, Vince Clark must surely be one of the greatest hit makers of the 80s. You could make a case, couldn't you, that early Alison Moyet and Florence, in terms of their approach to the vocals, are not that dissimilar, are they? I, I love it when I'm thinking of something and then you say it because it saves me articulating it and I'm going, do I make that point there? Oh, thank you, Nick. That was amazing. I was literally just sat there going, there's a little bit of a similarity there. Alison Moyer herself, I think, would agree with Mark. Because when I interviewed her, she talked about how she had actually had to relearn her vocal technique as she got into middle age. Because a lot of young pop singers who are basically untrained sing in a way that can ultimately damage them. And she knew she couldn't carry on singing like this. She found a new way of singing and she felt her voice had improved for it. And when I saw her live, you could see that. A lot of hit makers become better vocalists long after the hits have dried up for similar reasons, I think. Uh, the music from Daisy Jones and the Six, it was Marcus Mumford. He's partly oh. responsible. Phoebe Bridges, oh. uh, Taylor Goldsmith from the band Doors. So, yeah, uh, this is what I mean. They got some respectable people in to do the original music for it. Might be my sort of thing. I will add it to the ever-growing list of recommendations on my phone that it would take me the rest of my life to get through, but I'll add it near the top. Master scoreboard time. There is no change to the master scoreboard this week in terms of positions. So in last place, still with one measly point, the 1960s, one point ahead in fifth place, the 2000s. Five points in fourth place, that's the 2010s. Seven points in third place, the 1990s. Another two-point jump, nine points in second place, the 1970s. And then with a 12-point lead, we've got the 1980s with 21 points. I can't manufacture any spurious tension from that one. They're still battled before in the mid-placings, should be said. In all the time I've done which decade in its blog days, no decade has come anywhere near to the kind of victory that the 1980s looks likely to have at the end of the next episode. Remarkable. We'll talk about that when we come to the season two finale, when we'll have a good chinwag about the season as a whole. In the meantime, we have one more episode for you this season. That'll be dropping about a week after you get this results bulletin so that we're not overloading you. So until then, Bye from me, bye from Trev, bye from Nick. Bye.